Today's sermon comes from Isaiah 43, verse 22, to Isaiah 44, verse five. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together, set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jerusalem, who I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offering, your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by, flowering stream, by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call upon the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and the name himself by the name of Israel. Writing in the Wall Street Journal, Journal, author Daniel Pink makes an argument that regret is the second most common emotion felt among human beings. Now, whether it's second or not, I would agree that regret is one of the most common emotions that we feel. Pink, in coming to this conclusion, did a bunch of research and gathered thousands upon thousands of descriptions from people, even around the globe, describing their regret. One woman, who was 30 years old, wrote this, I regret not taking advantage of spending time with my grandparents as a child. I resented their presence in my home and their desire to connect with me. And now I'd do anything to get that time back. Now I would venture to say if we broaden that to those who are older parents, who have grown children, that there's probably some degree of, I wish I would have spent more time with my children when they lived in the house. But that's just one kind of regret. They're deeper and even more broader, more broad than that. I regret what I did that night when I drank too much. 
or I regret what I said to that person when I lost my temper because I can't get those words back. Or I regret that decision that I made that seems to have turned the organization that I lead or that I help lead in a very bad direction. Regret is an awful feeling. It's an awful feeling. It is that stomach churning sensation that my present would be better and my future brighter if I wouldn't have chosen so poorly, decided so wrongly, or acted so foolishly in the past. I would argue that regret is one of the heaviest burdens that we carry in life. So how does God deliver you from it? How does God deliver you from the burden of regret? But even more broadly, just the burden of sin, the burdens of life. God's people find themselves in this very place. In Isaiah 43 and 44. What was happening in their lives when Isaiah writes this? Well, verses 14 to 21 of chapter 43 describe their exile in Babylon. They're in exile. They have been ripped out of their homeland. They're living in a foreign place, in a foreign culture, and they're carrying heavy burdens. They're burdened by their harsh circumstances. They're burdened by the guilt of their sin that they knew, they know, drove them into these harsh circumstances. But the question is, what's the deep controlling source of their burden? You could say, well, it's the burden of the harsh circumstances. Yes. It's the burden of their sin and the guilt of it and the shame associated with it, yes, but there's something deeper. There was a deeper source of their burden that they weren't even aware of that God had to reveal to them. What was it? Verse 23, you have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. What was the problem? The problem was not that they were not bringing sacrifices to worship. The problem is the sacrifices they were bringing didn't honor God or satisfy God, as we see in verse 24. You have not satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. So why didn't their sacrifices honor or satisfy God? Well, there's a clue at the end of verse 23. God says, I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. They were burdened. 
they were wearied by bringing these sacrifices into worship. They were tired of it. And what God says here is, whoa, whoa, listen, wait a minute. I gave you the sacrifices. I gave you the sacrificial system not to burden you, but to release you from burden. The sacrifices that I, I, I call you to bring into worship are to actually release you from burden, not add to your burden. So why were they burdened lugging these sacrifices into worship? Two phrases and the meaning of the verb burden are gonna answer this question. The two phrases, verse 23, God says, I have not burdened you. Verse 24, God says, but you have burdened me with your sins. You see that? God says, I haven't burdened you, but you've burdened me. And that, that verb burden means to compel to serve or to make a slave of. So God says, you've burdened me. You've actually sought to make a slave of me with your sacrifices. How's that work? They were treating worship, which included the sacrifices they were bringing into worship, as a mechanism for controlling and manipulating God to get blessing out of him. It's a, it's a transactional view of worship that says, I get something from God when I bring the right stuff. Or I manipulate blessing out of God when I bring the right stuff. If I do X, God is obligated to do Y. There's a seven-year-old girl who had just won $2 for her memory work in Sunday school and she took the proceeds from it and did something in worship. But after the service, I'll tell you in a second, the pastor's wife learns of it and came up to her and said, great job, congratulations. And the girl said, yes, and I put it all in the morning offering. The pastor's wife said, wonderful. I'm sure God is pleased with that. And she said, yes. Now maybe he'll let me do what I want to do. Now we chuckle at that. That's the condition of the human heart. You come out of the womb a manipulator. Spoiler alert. That's the way you come out. And if you've spent any time with children, whether you have them or not, you won't argue that. Children manipulate, well, guess what? Adults do too. We just learn how to do it in more subtle ways. Something inside of us doesn't want grace. Something inside of us doesn't want grace. We wanna save ourselves. We wanna justify ourselves. There's this, this compulsive craving inside that we, we deserve what we get. It runs deep within. Let me give you an example of this. When the disabled American veterans mail out their request for donations, they get on average like a 19% 
public response. But when they include in their mailer free personalized address labels, which maybe you have been the recipient of, the response rate jumps to 35%. Almost doubles. Why? You give, you get. You do X, this person does Y. And we take that to God and we function that way that we can manipulate and control God if we just bring the right stuff, give him the right stuff, that we'll get what we want. And we can manipulate something out of God. Our natural drift, natural drift, meaning just no effort, what's naturally gonna come out of you, our natural drift is to worship God, not to unburden ourselves, but to obligate him. That's the natural drift of the human heart. To worship God, not to unburden yourselves, but to obligate him. The problem is manipulation and control never releases you from burden. It promises to. If you play it right, you'll get what'll make you happy. If you take control, you'll be happy. That's the promise of manipulation and control but what it does is it actually increases burden. It adds burden upon burden. And especially, especially if you are doing this in regards to your sin. Manipulating and controlling God by managing your sin leads to incredible burden. Incredible burden. So how do you know if you're seeking to manipulate and control God? Because that's a pretty abstract concept. You're like, I, I don't know. I don't think so, maybe. There's evidence of this. There's signs of this. And one of the signs of manipulating or controlling God or having that kind of relationship with him is burden and weariness. That's what was happening to God's people here. And especially burden and weariness when it comes to the rhythms of worship. So is it a burden for you to come to Sunday worship? Is it a joyless duty of utter drudgery to get to a community group or to get to a Bible study? Are you weary of reading your Bible? Weary of praying? See, the irony in this is that God gives us those rhythms of worship not to burden us, not to make us weary, actually just the opposite, to unload our burden, to release us from burden. And now I understand there are seasons here and there where just the rhythms of worship, you, you can feel burdened and you, kind of, you push through. I get all that. I'm talking about a, just a sustained, constant feel of the rhythms of the Christian life are just burdensome and wearisome. That's a sign that you're relating to God transactionally. That there's a, a deep down this manipulation and control or desire of, of, of God that way and interacting with him that way. So how does God release you from this burden? If that's the source of our burden, the deep source that plays out in all kinds of sin, how does God release you from this burden? It's through his character and his work that go hand in hand. Let me begin with his character. Verse 25. 
God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Two phrases here in this verse that speak deeply of God's character. The first one, he who blots. That phrase, he who blots, is a participle, which means that forgiveness of sins is an attribute of God. Forgiveness is not something he does. It's who he is. It's his very character. Second phrase, who blots out your transgressions, here it is, for my own sake. That means for reasons that find their explanation within his nature or character. Again, God doesn't forgive you because he's obligated to because of the right manipulation or the right behavior or the right stuff that you've done. God forgives you because that's who he is. That's his nature. That's his character. Have you ever experienced this yourself or maybe you've seen this with someone else? But somebody does something wrong. They, they lose their temper. They fly off the handle. They lash out in anger. And then when you ask them about what they did, they say, oh, I can't believe it. That's not me. I don't do that. That was so out of character. I just didn't have time to collect myself. C.S. Lewis speaks into this exact moment, and he says this, surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. Now, if God was caught off guard, so to speak, what would come out of him? Mercy and forgiveness would flow out of him because that's who he is. That's part of his nature. It's part of his character. And it's his character that fuels his work to release you from the burden of your sin, the burden of your regret. What's his work? What's his work that releases you from this burden of sin? There's two really strong contrasting actions in this passage. The first one, at the end of verse 24, God is burdened by his people's sins. At the beginning of verse 25, God is blotting out their sins. So from burdened by their sins to blotting out their sins. From burdened to blotting out. Second, really strong contrasting action. Verse 28, therefore I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. That's wrath. That's judgment. Verse 3, chapter 44, 
For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. That's blessing. So God goes from I will profane to I will pour out. From wrath to blessing. Almost back to back. You say, wait a minute, that's schizophrenia. What God are we dealing with here? Which is it? I can, can both of those flow out of God? How can that be? Those are such polar opposites, seemingly. Wrath and love are actually incredibly compatible. Wrath and love are very compatible. Wrath is the removal of that which is destroying something you love. Let me say that again. Wrath is the removal of that which is destroying something you love. So God's wrath is the removal of that which is destroying what he loves, which is you. So wrath is God destroying the sin that is destroying you. Now, how does he destroy your sin without destroying you? By placing it on someone else. And that's what he did with Jesus. He took the burden, the heavy burden of your sin, took it from you and placed it on Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 24, Jesus himself bore, that's the word bear, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus is the burden bearer. He unloaded your burden and placed it on himself. At the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Spain, a parable of burden-bearing was on display for the entire world to see. When the gun went off for the 400-meter race, Great Britain's Derek Redman was beginning to see his dream of winning a gold medal. It was in his view. And as he rounded the last corner, he was sent sprawling to the track with the ripping pain of a torn hamstring. He laid on the track, devastated, dream shattered. And then something amazing happened. His father comes bounding out of the stands, past the security guard, gets to his son, puts his arm around him, and with a very shaky voice, because he was emotional at that point, said, come on, son, let's finish the race. And the stadium both cheered and wept as this father carried his wounded son across the finish line. 
That's a picture of the character and the work of our Heavenly Father. Because every one of us is laid out on the track. None of us finish the race. We're laid out by, the, by sin, by the guilt of it, devastated by it, dreams shattered, broken lives, paths that just haunt us. We are laid out on the track, unable to finish the race. Now, as Derek Redmond laid on that track, there's another way this story could have played out. His father could have stayed in his seat in the stands and thought to himself, I told him to hydrate the day before. I told him to drink fluids. And I told him to stay away from the soda. And I told him to stretch more. And he didn't listen to me. So now he's bearing the consequences. He needs to feel the pain and he needs to get to the finish line. I would venture to say that there's some of you that maybe have that view of God in some form or fashion. And maybe it's because you grew up with an earthly father who treated you that way. And so it's hard for you to, to divorce from how you lived under an earthly father and, and take on a different view of the heavenly father. But let me just tell you, because mercy and forgiveness is the very character of our heavenly father, God the father comes bounding out of the stands to bear your burden. That's what he did when he sent Jesus. And Jesus doesn't begrudgingly bear your burden. Hebrews says that he, for the joy set before him, he gladly bears your burden of sin, gladly takes it from you and put it on himself at the cross. What burden of regret are you carrying? What burden are you carrying for actions in the past, for, for choices that were unwise, for decisions that were wrong, for actions that were foolish? Everyone has it. What burden of regret are you carrying that is leaving you paralyzed? Anxious, depressed, maybe self-loathing. You can't unlock the chains of the past. You can't do it. But Jesus can, and he does. He unlocks the chains of the past, frees you from that burden so that you can be filled with freedom and joy and move forward with hope. Because Jesus took your burden to the cross and he buried it. He's buried. And he rose from the dead to give you strong assurance and evidence that it's buried and that he's victorious. 
But it's important to note as we talk about this being free from burden, there's a so that to this. Jesus releases you from burden so that. Back to 1 Peter 2, 24. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Here it is. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus releases you from burden to change you, to grow you. So that, verse four of chapter 44, you shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. That's a picture of flourishing, of growth, of flourishing, of health, right? He releases you from your burdens to grow you. Look at the end of verse two. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Who was Jacob? Jacob was a deceiver. He was a manipulator. He, he manipulated his brother Esau into giving him the birthright of the firstborn. He manipulated his father Isaac into giving him a blessing. He was a schemer, deceiver, manipulator. We, we are Jacob. We are Jacob. So who is this Jeshurun in verse two? Well, the root word is related to Yasher or Yasher. And it's a word that means upright, which ultimately is God's desire for his children, is that they would be upright. And so what you have here is this beautiful contrast of looking back to the failure of his people, Jacob's, manipulators, deceivers, but looking forward to what they will become in grace. And what I love is the end of that, that word Jeshurun, the U-N ending, it conveys a sense of endearment or intimacy. And so God is setting up this huge contrast in love and with intimacy and endearment to say, I look back on the failure of my children, but I look forward to what they are gonna become. By grace, by God's grace, we are being changed from Jacob's into Jeshurun's. And that is God's work. The, in verse three, the dry ground, the thirsty land, that is a description of where God's people were in this passage. But that dry ground and thirsty land, that is a picture of the life of manipulation and control. That's what they were doing with God and it left them on, in dry ground and thirsty land. When you live a life of manipulation and control, your life will shrivel into dry ground and thirsty land. And your thirst, we all have it, your thirst will never be quenched through manipulation and control. In fact, your thirst will grow because it never can quench. Your thirst can only be quenched by Jesus Christ and by his spirit that dwells in you. Notice what happens when, when Jesus releases you from the burden of sin and from the burden of needing to manipulate and control the world around you. Look at verse five. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's. There's nothing transactional about those phrases. 
Those are statements of belonging and relationship. Those are not statements that say, the Lord belongs to me because of what I have done to manipulate and control him. I belong to the Lord because of what he has done for me. There's no manipulation, no control, no transaction in those statements. And that's what happened. When Jesus releases you from your burden of regret and your burden of sin, you say, I belong to him, period. I belong to him. I have a relationship with Christ and there's a deep confidence and there's a deep assurance in the love of Christ. How does God deliver you from the burdens of life? We've looked at the source of burden, which if you keep peeling back the layers, ultimately it gets to that place of manipulation and control, out of which all kinds of sin happens. We've looked at the release from burden that Jesus takes your burden, puts it on himself, dies on the cross, buries it, rises from the dead, you're released from burden. You could walk out of here saying, praise God, there is no burden for me to bear. And that's a yes and a no. There actually is a burden, a healthy burden that you're called to bear. And we see it in verse five. Verse five has four parts to it. We've already looked at the two. And verse five alternates between turning to the Lord and turning to his people. So it's, I will say, I am the Lord's. That's turning to the Lord. And then the third part, another will write in his hand, the Lord's, right? That's turning to the Lord. But in between those alternating are these other statements. Another will call on the name of Jacob and name himself by the name of Israel. So not only in response to their sin being forgiven, their burden being released, not only did they turn to the Lord, but they turned to his people. Those are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. When you turn to Jesus, you turn to his people. There's a strong message of community in verse five, which means that you actually do have a healthy burden to bear. When Jesus releases you from your burden of sin, he gives you the capacity to bear the burden of others. Galatians chapter six, verse two. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ as long as you are bearing your burden of regret and your burden of sin, you will not have the capacity to love others and bear their burden. But when you are free from your burden of regret, the burden of your past, the burden of your sin, now you've got capacity and the freedom through the Spirit to love others well by bearing their burdens. Uh, one author describes burden-bearing of others this way. Often, the most loving thing we can do when a friend is in pain is to share the pain. 
to be there even when we have nothing to offer except our presence. And even when being there is painful to ourselves. Several winters ago, there was a heavy snowstorm that hit North Carolina. And this wet six inch snowfall had a very interesting effect along the I-40 corridor. Along the interstate, there were these groves of tall, young pine trees. And the branches on these pine trees in the snow was very wet, so it was very heavy. Uh, The branches were bowing down, but they were bowing down and you'd see them uh, leaning against the trunk of another tree or leaning against the branch of another tree. The effect of this storm on the trees that stood alone was very different. The branches were bowed down, but because they didn't have another tree to lean against or another branch to lean against, they kept bowing down until they snapped, leaving the branch in the dark, alone on the ground, in the cold snow. Who in your world is standing alone in the midst of a life storm? Who is standing alone? What an opportunity you have, both opportunity and capacity to bear that person's burden because Jesus has released you from your burden by taking it upon himself. Let's pray. Father, we all confess confess to varying degrees our transactional relationship with you that we have this deep within us, it's sin, it's the fall, but we have this deep sense of giving to get, doing X so that you're obligated to give us Y. And Father, we repent of that. And we turn to your son Jesus, the burden bearer, and we believe that he bore the burden of our sin, not begrudgingly, but with great joy. And that it brings you joy when we believe that and turn to your son, that our burdens could be released and taken from us. Father, I pray for those here that maybe are carrying a heavy burden of regret who have never turned to Jesus. Would you draw their hearts today by your Holy Spirit? And Father, for those of us that maybe have been in Christ for many years, there may be some in this room who are standing alone and maybe feeling like they're about to snap. Would you, by your Spirit, gather your people around them 
to bear their burden, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Father, as we come to this meal now, what a beautiful meal this is that you have given us as a gift to release us from our burden. And we ask for the grace to receive and experience this meal in that way. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.